0: Welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Let's get started. Greetings and welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. I am so excited to bring our guest to you today. Lori Bush is a CEO, speaker, and a woman committed to the science of skincare. In 2007, Bush partnered with the founders of Rodan and Fields to lead the company's pivot out of department stores and into the direct selling channel. As CEO, Lori took the company from restaged to the largest independent premium skincare brand in the U.S., At the time of her retirement in 2016, the company was valued at $1.5 billion with continuing high double-digit year-over-year revenue growth. In May of 2020, Lori launched Salvasa, so she came out of retirement. We'll talk about that. A new company and a new category in wellness, she calls Integrative Beauty. The company, co founded with leading Beverly Hills plastic surgeon Dr. Ritu Chopra, was inspired by her post retirement experience with breast cancer and based on recognition of macro trends with unmet needs in the area of beauty and well being. Bush is frequently asked to share her professional knowledge as a speaker and writer in the areas of beauty, wellness, women's leadership, and consumer commerce. She's the co author of the best selling beauty and wellness book, Write Your Skin, A Prescription for Change. Lori, welcome. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So happy you're here. So I know a little bit about your story and I gave a lot on the bio and guys, I had to totally condense it. There's so much more to say, but would you tell a little bit of your story in your words? Uh,
1: sure. So I've had a very privileged career and in 2006, my husband and I actually made a pact that by 2016, we were going to retire with my dream of living in a home on a vineyard in California wine country and potentially having a family business in the area. And we sort of did our pinky swear on that. And that was about the time I started my um experience with Rodan and Fields. I had um, I had been in the beauty industry with a focus on skincare for a good part of my career. My early stage of my career was actually in laboratory medicine. I developed products in the areas of uh, disease diagnosis and transitioned into marketing, and then made ultimately the move into skincare and beauty, which was kind of counterintuitive given my my degrees and my background, but it was a fantastic move for me. And I'd had some great experiences with companies like Johnson and Johnson. I was did the actually professional marketing program for Neutrogena, where my job was essentially to get the number one dermatology recommended claim mm. for Neutrogena products, and that got me close to the dermatology community, which is how I ultimately ended up partnering with Dr. Katie Rodan and Dr. Kathy Fields, as they were looking to extend their footprint Mm -hmm. from acne into uh, general skincare and beauty, which was my area. And long story there, but ultimately we ended up um, partnering. They had launched their company, initially sold it to the Estee Lauder's companies and At that point in time, things just, they were trapped behind a glass counter Mm -hmm. and their story was rich and it was big and they needed a different type of sales structure in order to make it happen. And I had a background in direct selling. I'd been the president of the New Skin Division of New Skin Enterprises with skincare products in 45 countries around the world with this independent sales organization structure. So we got together together um, decided to, at first, we were talking to Estee Lauder about potentially just taking the product line into direct selling via the Lauder companies. That ended up not making sense for a number of reasons. So Lauder sold the company back and we started from zero and relaunched. But at that point in time, I said, you know what? I've With my husband, we've determined that we're gonna be in business for the next 10 years or so. Um, and I still have a non-compete to wait out. So we launched and relaunched the company at the beginning of 2008. And I figured by that point, by the time I was at that point, eight years into it, we'd have either had a, we'd have either gone down in flames or had some sort of liquidity event, but it turns out it was just the opposite. The company took off. Um, it was really quite transformative, bringing clinical skincare to the masses But I did honor my commitment to my husband to retire. I live on a beautiful um, property in Sonoma, California now. Um, A dream come true. And I retired at the beginning of 2016. Thought I would downshift to just doing some board work and maybe some advisory work. And that's what I started doing. And then um, at the beginning of 2017 or mid-2017, found a little lump on my breast. And coincidentally, I had um, just invested in a company that made manufacture that was about to launch, that made bras and um, intimate apparel for women who were going through breast mm. surgeries, um, particularly those who were having mastectomies and uh, um, the company is called Anna Ono and it was just getting launched by this amazing woman, uh, Dana Donafrey who you may want to interview at some point. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, and she, um, uh, she was a big advocate for women who were dealing with breast cancer. So I given her a call and said, I found this little lump in my breast and she, um, Said, be sure you, you know, I go, it's probably nothing. It's probably just a cyst. Well, it turns out it wasn't nothing. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, I had had my mammographies. I had, when I went back for the checkup of the little lump, the mammogram couldn't even see the the yeah. tumor, but I could feel it. So I'm making a big case to everybody. Self-exam is a big thing because early detection, I was very fortunate, found it very early, decided to go very aggressive in terms of prophylaxis, Mm -hmm. meaning I, I chose the bilateral mastectomy and reconstruction and I had the best possible medical care. And it was very integrative. Mm -hmm. I was close to my breast surgeon. I became friends with her Mm -hmm. as Dr. Christy Funk, who is the go-to, um, specialist for breast ca- for all things related to breast cancer. She's on Good Morning America all the time. She wrote a book called Breast the Owner's Manual, which she was <laughs> writing while um, she was, while I was going through my treatment. So she's giving me the galleys to read and review with her, which is kind of a fun experience. Um, I've got my oncologist's phone number on my cell phone, but what I didn't realize One was the importance of having a team that was working together for you. And the other thing that I didn't realize is when you're going through this process and reconstruction, the person you see the most, the doctor you see the very most is your plastic surgeon. You you get very close to your plastic surgeon. And I had an amazing plastic surgeon, Dr. Rithu Chopra, who is rated as on many lists as the number one plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. amazing individual. He made house calls for me. It was just, Mm. and so as I'm going through week after week of these visits, we start talking about the beauty industry and the skincare industry. And he says to me one day, you know, I've been thinking about a product line, had some ideas. Um, Would you mind taking a look at what I'm thinking? And I had to say to him, can I put my clothes on first? You know, for him, it was a day at the office with me sitting there with my ugly breasts at that point exposed that were just healing from these um, surgeries. Um, And so we went into his office and he showed me some concepts that he had for a skincare line that brought together the best of Eastern traditional skincare and self-care and the best of Western cosmeceuticals and combining them. Together, because he felt that that sort of represented how he approached medicine with mm-hmm. his Indian upbringing and his uh, Western culture, and uh, being a you know an American citizen and American born. So anyway, I look at the line, and what I said to him is, "It's all interesting. It sounds lovely, but the world does not need another skincare line. Mm-hmm. There are everybody and their dog seems to want to launch a skincare mm-hmm. line." <laughs> And there's not really a specific need for what you are bringing to market. But if you take what you're doing and think of it a little bit deeper and further, and based on my learning going through this breast cancer experience, one, having the integrative approach with the doctors working as a team for me, but also realizing that the biggest, my biggest concern when I was being treated and being put on the drugs that I continue to be on is that they were going to plummet me into old age where I'd spent most of my career in what yeah. called anti-aging skincare. Now, anti-aging is a word nobody wants to use anymore. Yeah. And so um, I said, if I was going to do something, if I were you, I would look at it more holistically. You know, I I used to think that things like meditation and mindfulness were for people who had nothing better to do with their time. And I ate stress for lunch and I only needed to sleep four hours a night. And I came to realize that if you're not managing the impact of inflammatory stress throughout your entire being, that all the cosmeceuticals in the world are okay. going to take care of what's going on with your skin. I definitely
0: want to talk about that, but finish what you're saying, because yeah. I know you're so, going to get to Solvassa. So so
1: that's how Solvassa came to be. He said, I love that. Let's, you know, let's do it. And I said... Hey, I'm retired. I've already had my, you know, Never my run. career with the cherry on top. That was all great. And, um, but I'll help you pull together the a company. And I know how to start a company. Yeah. So, um, but I said, but I'm not going to run it. I'm not going to be an operator. You're going to have to raise some money. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did, we pulled, we pulled everything together. The challenge was that, we launched the business as a direct selling company at the end of January, 2020. And, you know, direct selling, which is really very socially focused and so much about building community and everything we intended to do just blew up. And so, you know, we, we, we struggled along. We, you know, we had some interesting fits and starts in, the first um, year or so, and then eventually, um, by the end of 2021, I realized that you know we're, we're we never really got out of the blocks the way we intended to. So I stepped in to basically take over the company and continue to look for the right go-to-market strategy for this very differentiated, it wasn't just about launching a new brand. It was about creating a new category that brought together really the body mind connection on behalf of your skin and, and, and the reflection of it. So there it is. And so, yes, I call myself a failed retiree (laughs) and it's, um, it's exhausting, but um, it's something that is so relevant and so needed right now that I'm not willing to throw in the towel. I know that there's a there there.
0: That, that's amazing. And welcome back out of retirement. Um, I think uh, we're lucky to have you. So I want to unpack your comment on stress because I just did a post today about um, the price of work. And I was specifically talking about, um, what's it worth to you? Is it worth your health? Is it worth the relationships you worth the relationships you've got and sacrificing those? And I recently had a friend who just passed away and was in like a terrible stress state all the time. And that was, I believe, a massive contributor to her passing. Um So talk to me about your experience as a CEO and, how did you manage stress, and how did you like acknowledge it within the ranks around you? was yeah. it wasn't so what I was
1: Yeah, so through most of my career, i I thought I I thought I was in control, and the way I really addressed it is what I would have called a work life mashup. Is that I made everything I did. I I I I connected the two very closely. In fact, I did a um, a keynote for the um, commencement of Temple University's business school. Mm-hmm. I think that must have been back in early 2017. I think it was before my breast cancer. And I talked about to the business students who are graduating that I graduated. I got my graduate degree the year before the term work life balance became a thing. And so I missed that memo. And <laughs> and what what I found is that I found a lot of joy in my career because I brought my family into whatever I was doing. And I took from the observations of life and built them back into some of the problems I was trying to solve for work. So at this commencement, I actually the theme was what um is what do stinky basset hounds world of warcraft and a date gone wrong all have in common and they all were insights and experiences that helped me create what became the number one beauty brand in the country or skincare brand i should say in the country and it was just finding answers and solutions so that's how i felt like i was managing Wait, the what did they have was,
0: in common because i'm still uh, stuck on the
1: stinky basset hound so the, the, the Stinky Basset Hound was, I just a real quick story. I was given, uh, I, I used to consider myself the master of dog projects. I would take on things at my companies that nobody else wanted to touch. Um, and and I, I was given the assignment when I first started at Neutrogena to save a trademark. It was Neutrogena Veterinary Formula. And it wasn't, you know, a very special trademark, but the company needed to get a product into interstate commerce to save this trademark because the founder of the company um, wanted this trademark saved. So, Lori, here, you need to develop a product, get it um, shipped. And oh, by the way, you don't have a budget for it. And don't mess with our existing class of trade. And so I had just moved to LA. And one of the things that I was experiencing for the first time in my life was... Um, I had uh, fleas on my dogs and somebody said, you need to wash your dogs with T-gel shampoo. Here's a little Mm. tip for everybody. Fleas hate T-gel, they just leap off of it. And that's how you would treat the fleas in your dog. So now I'm thinking, okay, T-gel is good for fleas. I don't have a budget. I need to get a product into interstate commerce. Um, How am I going to do this? So first of all, I locate... There's two schools of veterinary dermatology in the whole country. One happens to be UC Davis. So it's in at least the same state I'm in, in California. I get together with the head of dermatology there and said, I would like to sponsor a clinical trial um, for um, using T-gel to treat dogs with fleas. And this the head of the school said, you know, there's a real problem for Basset hounds because they get a condition called flea bite dermatitis and they really stink. And he goes, we'll have people lined up to participate in this clinical trial with your shampoo. If you, um, if you you want to go that route. So this is great. So we have people lined up with their Basset hounds and we're sending them home with the T gel shampoo and we get these, this paper written up that I could, we can now publish collectively with uh, the school. Then I find who is the um, one of the distributors through veterinary clinics of veterinary products for sale. And I locate a company called Butler out of Columbus, Ohio. And I called them, and I said, how would you like to co-label a product with Neutrogena? And they said, that would be fantastic. So we created um, Neutrogena Veterinary Formula by Butler. And when we were doing a run of T gel, I just switch out the, the bottles and the labels, got the product going. We marketed it to through veterinarians. It was the most one of the most fun projects I've ever worked on. But the moral of the story is I know I it was an amazing exercise in bootstrapping and how to create a, a true brand value proposition without a lot of, of money. So now we're launching Rodan and Fields. It's founder funded where I'm looking for a way to, to transition Katie Rodan and Kathy Fields equity from being the acne chicks to yeah. Being more of your go-to bedside dermatologist, basically, mm. well, we need a book. And um, so it was kind of that experience and how I created the the, you know, the ad take took the assets we had and found a very cost effective way to leverage them yeah. where, and, and build a, a brand or build equity. So that was part but, of that.
0: I mean, great stories, Lori. Yep. I love those. Um, so yeah. obviously, you know, being at the helm of a company of that size and also with new skin and also with um, JMJ and Neutrogena, I mean, you, you had to lead some people and I know you're also um, on the San Francisco Bay Alliance of CEOs. So what, what are some of the leadership observations you had then and maybe some you could share now, like what are CEOs struggling with? And if those are too many questions, I'll come back to it. So,
1: so so one, the leading a lot of people. And I mean, that's truly what leadership is about. It's people want to follow you. That's right. And so culture is everything. Culture is absolutely everything. And it's actually one of the reasons I fell in love with direct selling. When I transitioned from Johnson and Johnson to, um, to new skin. It, you know, some people were saying, this is career suicide. What are you thinking? People think of direct selling. They think of, you know, pyramid schemes and all this craziness. And, and I will admit for the first year I was the, you know, at, at new skin and people asked me what I did. I'd say, I'm in the beauty industry. I would, and I used to work for Johnson and Johnson. I couldn't bring myself to say I was, (laughs) but but I, that changed quickly when I realized that the, the amazing part of the direct selling business is that people and are at the epicenter of all of the decisions you make. And you would like to think that's the case in consumer products in general. But when you think about it, when you're in more traditional consumer packaged goods, you think of your customers as the trade as Walmart or Costco or Walgreens and you think of the people who are actually using your products as your consumers there's statistics in a way you're looking at numbers and you think of your 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 organization as product managers or brand managers and now in direct selling you're kind of compressing a lot of things where your customers are also your salespeople, and they are your consumers as well in many cases. Mm-hmm. And as they're going to walk into your office and literally walk into your office and smack you in the side of the head, if you don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this business where you are starting with the mindset of the people and the heart of the sales organization, which is why I love the name of your podcast, yes. because it fits direct selling to a T. Well, and, and you
0: so- something so important, Lori, and especially in sales, this is a message I try so loudly to scream to sales leaders. And that's where I came from. So sales has it the worst, you know, we've got the the deadlines, the quotas, the pressure. It is, it's cutthroat. It's hard. And you get into it for the money because that's, you know, that's where it's at. But if you don't take care of your people and if you don't make them feel valued, they're gonna burn out mm-hmm. and your top performers are gonna leave and you're gonna be left trying to run a mediocre team like they were top performers and it's only gonna backfire. So I love that you recognize that. And I think you're right with the direct sales model. It's all about heart. It's all about heartstrings. It's all about appealing to people where they are. Yeah. So- and,
1: and then from a company perspective, The way you service your sales organization is so, so critical. And you're oftentimes dealing with sales support, customer service, if you will, it's a cube farm Mm -hmm. and talk about burnout and turnover. (laughs) The people who are on the front line, who are basically your ear to the ground and who are the interface with your sales organization and your customers, they are at Huge risk of burnout. It's a terrible place. So you really need to start with the hearts of those individuals. And that's, I think, the thing I'm the most proud of at Rodan and Fields is that we created a culture and an organization where everybody felt empowered Mm -hmm. and where everybody felt connected. And we worked our asses off and we danced You know, it was um, I and the thing that I would be struggling with today, I don't know if I could do what we did in today's environment Mm -hmm. if we can't get back to having a a place where everybody shows up. This, I think, has got to be one of the biggest challenges in business today is creating a culture when so many people are sitting behind a Zoom screen. Yeah, that's a really important
0: point. And I think um,
1: leaders shouldn't be so
0: quick to use it as a crutch and say, it's just hard. Uh, You still have to do it. You still have to, forge connection, you have to build opportunities for collaboration and teaming, whether you're, you know, far away, like Boston and California, yeah. or you're, you're, you know, you're even in the same office, you you have to afford those moments for people to connect to each other. I, I love that you got that. And I love that, you know, that's how you
1: lead. I think that's so, so important. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing that I think is a challenge for people today, and I, I, I know we're going to work our way through this and figure this out. But, you know, I was running Rodan and Fields at the time when Marissa Mayer made the big deal at Yahoo that everybody's coming back to the office. Nobody's working yeah. remotely anymore. <laughs> because in the tech world, you can work remotely because you're oftentimes sitting behind a computer anyway. But, you know, I built out our headquarter building in the financial district of San Francisco, where yeah. the building was built. For collaboration and for transparency, so that we could all see each other all the time. We had been in a smaller building at uh, at Union Square in San Francisco, and it was a very small building. And we were on one small floor when we launched the company. Our first year, we had eight employees. So we're on this, and then we started to grow and we took on other space in that building, but there was an elevator. And the elevator was, uh, there were two elevators actually, oftentimes one of them was broken and you'd have to wait for an elevator to go one floor. You couldn't use the staircase and it changed the dynamics of how we were working together. And so I thought we have to get into a space where we can talk to each other face to face and see each other. And so we found a space and we built a staircase through several floors that became kind of the cultural heart of the business so that you could stop and have random conversations. And you could um, connect with people anywhere because we had idea paint on all the walls where you could just stop somewhere and start sharing ideas and write on the walls. And we, but, but the most important thing I think we did, and this is something that I think it can be duplicated virtually. And I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts and you talked about everybody really understanding the why And one day I sat in the sales, um, the customer service organization. We had just had a big product launch and we, it was out of control. We were having inventory challenges because we sold way more than we expected. And there were all sorts of issues associated with it. And so I had people come in and work on the weekend when normally we wouldn't work on the weekend. And I went in and I sat in the call center answering the phones, uh, which was an amazing enlightenment because we had this knowledge base of answers that people would give to the customers who called in and some of them just didn't make sense to me. Mm. So I would, after I'd service a call, I'd talk to some of the other people in the group and I'm going, why are we saying this? This This is something that was maybe a workaround in the early days, but doesn't make sense anymore. And they would oftentimes say to me, you know, I've always wondered that myself, but this is just what I was told to do. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to break this up. I I love that
0: you did that, Lori. And, you know, the CEO of Starbucks right now has promised that he's going to work in a cafe once a month for his entire tenure. And I just feel like every CEO ought to find themselves in the trenches just to really get a grasp of what is going on on the field. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's so important. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review to keep the conversation going. You can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at h 4 h or you can reach me at my website, heartbeatforhire.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.